Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. I am John Negroni, film section editor for theyoungfolks.com. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I normally I say, I've, I've said all kinds of things, but we have some, we have a different way to introduce this person. And he's been making me wait, you know, because because we, we knew this was going to come. And he was just like, don't announce it yet. And I'm like, OK, but this is the week. This is it. I'm now going to say he is a news and entertainment writer at. Where is he a news and entertainment writer at? I know I'm hanging you all in suspense. Is it, you know, one of the biggest websites on the Internet? Yeah, actually, you're right. It is Collider. Collider.com. You might have heard of it. It's Will Ashton, news and entertainment writer at Collider. I have to repeat it. Hey, what's up? Hey, Will. How's it feel? Collider. Whoa. Look yeah, at it's you. Big deal. I'm very excited. I didn't want to jinx it. That's why I've been mm-hmm. afraid to uh, say anything. But now that I have a couple bylines on the site, I can officially say I am a writer at Collider. So yeah. it's official and you're official and we're official. And there it is. Yeah. So too legit to quit. That's that. Uh, we have a fun episode for you all ahead. And uh, yeah, I got to say, if you are like, well, I want to listen to other episodes of Cinemaholics. Hey, what about that episode of Cinemaholics where you talked about that movie that came out in 20 whatever? Well, you can find our full archive on Cinemaholics.com, plus written reviews, bonus content, videos, everything you like. And this is, this is a big episode, Will Ashton, because this is the first episode of season six of Cinemaholics. So this is episode 258. And this, you know, we're starting a new chapter. We're entering... Our fifth year. We've done five years of Cinemaholics. Anniversary wow. is coming up like next week. So we're coming up on it. It's like a few days. Actually, it's a few days away. I think it's like the 13th. And yeah, how do you feel? Five years of Cinemaholics. Are you cool with it? Half a decade. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know. I um, I don't know. I, I haven't really processed it. I haven't I haven't kept the, um, the track that you have as far as these uh, milestones are concerned and these anniversaries. But... I'm definitely, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm the one in the done. relationship. He's just like, you forgot our anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm pretty proud of what we've done, what we've accomplished so far. I'm definitely, I've had a lot of fun doing this show now for half a decade, as I said, and it's, uh, it's been a good time. And I think we're kind of finding our groove at this point. It only took five years, but you know, know, lots of failures, lots of, yeah, catastrophes, bankruptcies, but we got there. I guess so. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like we're kind of now at a, at a place where it's like, yeah, we have a groove. We have a a formula. We're kind of finding our rhythm, I guess. Yeah. We're we're season six of scrubs. Yeah. There you go. Before, um, you know, before it all goes downhill from there, I guess. So true. true. No, you know, Scrubs still had a couple seasons left in the tank. Maybe that'll be the case for us too. But what, like two. Yeah, because Scrubs has a season seven, which was half, and it was it was solid. You know, and then season eight was sure. it was a good finale season. But yeah, we're, we're going to have our Scrubs med school soon enough, and I'm actually excited yeah. about it. It'll be a fun chapter. Yeah, I mean, it'll be like our our newbies or replacements take over, and we'll we'll be <laughs> yeah. parents like helicopter parents over it, just being like, "Well, this is what I thought worst person in the world." Anyway, gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm only here for six weeks. Right. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we're we're excited to celebrate this anniversary. Thank you for who, all of you who've been listening, however long. If you've been with us all six years, that's amazing. If you've been with us for six seconds, that's even more amazing because you lasted that long. And uh, I'm excited for the next whatever years, whatever happens. Uh, I'm I'm stoked about all of it to come. But okay, we should just jump right into things because we have lots to get into. We're gonna start the show. Usually, we start with a movie. 
because we review movies on Cinemaholics. It's pretty easy to predict. But this week, no, we're we're gonna do we're gonna kick things off with the Oscars 2022 nominations, and we're not gonna go through every single one. But we're just going to do our general reactions to because they, they got announced this morning. Now, unlike you, Will, I I avoided the inter- I was offline all day. I, I didn't see these nominations until like an hour or so ago. And I recorded a YouTube video, literally reading them live. So people can get my like live reaction and you can be like your your cinemaholics one. You were polished. You, you know, it's totally different, uh, probably. Uh, and because th- there are like a few things like after I recorded that, I was like, oh, I totally forgot about this movie. And it's kind of got overlooked. I was like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. I, we can talk about it. And I I think I'm owed an apology, Will Ashton. Because because it's I so, said there was a movie that would I, come into Best Picture and you were like, there's no oh. way you're you're insane like you mm. you need to like get some sleep you know True. you said that word for word i want to say yeah i mean i guess you're referring to the nomination for best picture that nightmare alley got this morning right right which i i find you film. were just like oh that that has as good of a shot as spider-man no way home <laughs> and Pretty i was much, like that's I mean, an exaggeration well <laughs> i mean you know same umbrella technically i mean Certainly, Disney seemed to care more about Spider-Man: Homecoming or Spider-Man: No Way Home uh, compared to Nightmare Alley, which they have just shooed on to HBO Max and Hulu this week. Uh, like, what is it like? Maybe a month and a half before right. after it's been uh, in theaters. So, I mean, you know, they're 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 de- they're definitely pushed the awards run for. It. And you know, it's a fine film. I liked it. We enjoyed it. We talked about it uh, in a bonus episode of this show. And I think we have nice things to say about it. And I certainly preferred that film getting nominated over being the Ricardos or tick, tick, boom, uh, which were both, uh, potential nominees this morning. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't think this was in the bag. I don't think it's going to win, but I I was surprised that it was nominated. So you are right. Well, and and I did, Hey, look, sorry. It's, there is some, there is some equality here in terms Mm. of like, I didn't get everything right. Come on. And I I mentioned in the video, too, I was just like, here's what happened. Uh, You know, Will had mentioned to me, and I'm I'm like reciting, basically, that like, you know, drive my car. Best picture, best director. And my initial reaction to you was just like, I don't know. I mean, really? Because here's the thing. And I told you about this. I was like, I hadn't really looked at DGA. I hadn't looked at BAFTA. I didn't see like right. the momentum that drive my car had and you know to yeah. your credit you know i recognize that and i did look at it after the fact and i i had drive my car in my top 10 after that i was like okay you're you're right like there is like a total path here and that's that panned out drive my car here we go yeah i mean it seemed pretty likely it was going to get nominated for best director just based on the uh the path it was forming uh but best picture i mean it seemed likely at this point but wasn't a guarantee this until this morning so uh yeah i mean i'm definitely excited about that we'll talk about that movie mm-hmm. more in just a little bit i just saw that on saturday um it was you know the last of the best pictures they had to see for this year's crop um but yeah i mean it seemed uh it seemed less likely at the beginning of this race and then it just kind of crept up very workmanlike up the ladder and then now it got uh four oscar nominations which is very exciting so yeah big deal big uh very big exciting for that indeed film. yeah yeah i think i think the nomination that has excited me the most even though i don't think she's gonna win is kristen stewart for spencer because there was a time when i thought spencer had a really good shot at a few awards and only got one nomination 
And so, you know, I was a little disappointed by that, but that's okay. I think just Chris and Stuart being nominated is awesome by my book. And I'm glad the Academy is, you know, not snubbing her the way she's been snubbed at a lot of other awards because that's a great performance. But yeah, I think, I think Nicole Kimmon's going to run away with that, uh, that win. Um, I mean, she has mm. some competition, but yeah, I think, I think she's the favorite. Yeah. Being in the Ricardos, I, when I was going through it, I was like, oh my gosh, being in the Ricardos is getting a lot of stuff here. Mm-hmm. I know like Tick, Tick, Boom, that that was the one Best Picture nominee that I missed. I thought that was going to get nominated for Best Picture, but no, Nightmare Alley, you know, swept in there. I did say like, it for me, it, it like Nightmare Alley was one where I was like, I don't think it's very likely, but I could see it. And I think that I would have probably traded it out with Drive My Car, not Tick, Tick, Boom. I thought Tick, Tick, Boom was looking good because it's got Andrew Garfield coming up. It had a few technicals, you know, editing. I was like, okay, sure, Tick. Tick, tick, boom, you know, that's it. But uh, that kind of got pushed a little bit. And I do think that, I'm sorry, Will, Licorice Pizza, you know, it got some, it got some nominations. I I don't think it's going to win anything. I'm sorry. It might win original screenplay. It's possible. Yes. But I don't think it's the favorite. I I think that the front runner for screenplay, I I think, I think it's Belfast. I think Belfast, it's looking pretty good. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I was I will say, speaking of the original screenplay category, I was happy to see worst person world guest prize nomination yeah, yeah. in the original screenplay category, uh, which was surprising because, um, you know, I was hearing people rumbling the other day that like, oh, worst person world because Neon released it late. It's not even going to get a nomination for best international feature. And I never really bought that, but there was a concern Same, in the yeah. back of my mind. I was like, Oh, maybe they're onto something. Maybe they know something. I don't know. But I was like, nah, I mean, it seems like there's just so much buzz for that film. I mean, I think drive my car is going to obviously win that because, you know, drive my car is up for, best I don't know. Director. I said in my video, I'm kind of, I'm wondering if worst person is going to be a surprise here because it has fewer nominations. And I wonder if the Academy is going to forsake drive my car, except maybe like one award and give it i could i could see it i could see worst person because i think it's a more oscar-y movie it's i don't know i i could see I mean, it but it's possible i mean it is one happy of three, with either is one of three international features as far as the films in the international feature category that was yeah, for great. more than one category yeah flea was also mm-hmm. nominated as expected for best anime feature and best documentary so um that and i think that's animated i think is going to encanto pretty easily probably but it might win best documentary it doesn't seem like the documentary category has any particular favorites as far as i last yeah the documentary one surprised me i was like i don't know a lot of these movies i don't i haven't heard of you know at least two of them i was at least one of them actually i think it was like ascension i I was like what is that yeah I don't know. I wasn't really keeping up with the documentary category, but I heard some people say that they were really surprised that the rescue wasn't nominated, considering that's also right. That National Geographic thing. I forgot about that. Right. That was also from the free solo guy in girl guy and girl. Um, Summer of Soul, though. I think I think it's that one's looking great. That's true. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that's also nominated. So that could very well win. It's it's a, a very definitely my favorite of the win. bunch. As much sure. as I really love Flea, that's probably my but. favorite. I mean, of the ones I've seen so far, I I haven't seen at least two or three of them. So um, yeah. that one I need to catch. That's a big category for me that I got to catch up on. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Flea could very well win that one if it does get stumped for international feature and animated feature, uh, because it seems to be a less contentious category. But we'll find out mm-hmm. soon enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, so so Coda got some love. Troy Kotzer was, was great to see. He got some writing love. Um, I was glad to see Coda get in there. I, I don't think it's going to win much, if, if anything. And uh, Don't Look Up got some, you know, attention. Don't Look Up, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's going to get anything. I'm not that curious about its prospects. I was kind of thinking that DiCaprio might get a nomination, but I, think, possible, I think we're... Yeah. It's possible. I think where it lands, this is what I predict, and it's I think what most people were predicting in like October of last year, which is I think Power of the Dog is going to win Best Picture, Best Director. I think Belfast is going to take some of the periphery awards, and I think Dune is going to sweep the technicals. I think that's what it's mm-hmm. going to look like, and well, I think I, th- I think it's going to be Power of the Dog's year. I'm wearing my Jane Campion shirt, so you know I'm biased. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, what. Uh what tipped me into thinking that it's probably going to be Power of the Dog's year is that Power of the Dog got the editing nomination where Belfast didn't. And I mean, I'm not going to say yep. this is a fast and true rule of Best Picture winners, but it's a, a, lot a of strong times, indicator. Right. Generally, I mean, because editing is a obviously key factor into what movies uh, are the best received of the Oscar or the Academy. Uh, and, you know, obviously, uh, if they really appreciated the craft of the film to nominate for both directing and editing. Allegedly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, there are exceptions like, like obviously like, like um, Bohemian Rhapsody uh, won for editing, but that was more of like a, like kind of pity Oscar, I guess, because they were like, you kind of did this movie a solid by make it even, you know, watchable, which watchable. I I put a lot of brackets on (laughs) as it is, but uh, we got to remember too, you know, like some of these movies, like King Richard, it got a nomination for editing. And I mentioned this, it's like, so some people might, that might be surprising, but you have to recall like that tennis sequence at the end of the movie and in general in the movie is really impressive stuff. And I think the Academy fixates on things like that of like, you know, live aid, you know, that whole sequence from Bohemian Rhapsody. That was why, you know, people were kind of teasing as like, what's so great about the editing? It's like, it's, it's about that scene. Like that's really what it comes down to. I mean, I fall under the rule of like, I think the best editing is the editing that you don't really notice. But the Academy seems to follow the other logic, which is that they like the movies where you can really see the editing yeah, in the place, pizzazz, the flash. which seems to be why Don't Look Up and Tick, Tick, Boom were nominated. Not that those films are horribly edited, though there are some scenes in Don't Look Up where the editing is bizarre, to say the least. I don't know. Uh, I don't think. I don't think either movie is bad with editing. I think I think don't look up. I think they're pretty competent. And I would say Tick, Tick, Boom has some really good editing moments and flights sure. fancy. So I'm, I'm they, a little bit in disagreement. But they favor a sort of editing style where it's like I feel like a movie like Worst Person World, like that is edited in such a way where I yeah, think that's a that, master class. Right. I think that's like the type of editing that I think gets overlooked for how well it's edited, considering like how it, it captures that like novelistic flow in a way that's very like absorbing and impactful. And I think that's the type of film where it's like that's I mean, not that I, I think I mean, obviously, I think uh, Worst Person in the World should have got a number of nominations, including for Best Actress. I, I didn't expect Agreed. it. Agreed. Yeah. Renata Reinsett yeah. didn't really get right. something there. And I mean, that was expected, but at the same time was disappointing. But, you know, at the same time, like I said, I don't want to. Um, uh, downplay what did get nominated for it got two nominations that's pretty incredible in its own right for yeah. a norwegian film so yeah i mean you know obviously everyone has their opinion on what should and shouldn't get nominated and you know i would like to see more love for that film but it got a lot of love already so that's good yeah yeah i think a lot of movies here are going to get at least one thing <laughs> you know i think west side story is going to get shut out a lot but ariana debose has a pretty solid chance at best uh, supporting actress i think that uh i think king richard uh, i think it could be i think it could be will smith and ingenue ellis like very very 
possible. I, I think Judy Dench is like kind of like the potential upset there uh, for supporting. But and in terms of like actor, I think it it's basically between I think we have to acknowledge it's between Benedict Cumberbatch and Will Smith. I, I just don't think yeah. Denzel is going to get it for Tragedy of Macbeth, which probably not. I, you know, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Tragedy Macbeth anyway, and I think Tragedy sure. Macbeth is going to get shut out. I think Dune is going to overpower it, and mm-hmm. the like the technicals where it shares. Sure. And I'm sorry, Will, that because yeah, I know you like that movie more than I do. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would say production design is probably the best option it has of winning an Oscar. Best chance, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I, I still think Dune's yeah. going to take that. Sure, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I think it's really funny that the production design nominations are exactly the same as the cinematography nominations this year. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. Did, I didn't notice that, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. My brother pointed that out to me this morning. I, I think it's pretty funny. Wait, so wait, wait. I feel, you said cinematography. Oh, no, no, not visual effects. No, production design or like production design. Yep, 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 yep. Because um, I, I saw with visual effects, I was just like, that's no, silly. visual effects. It's uh, it's something different. Free, it's a dumpster fire. Free guy, Shang Chi and Spider Man. Oh yeah, it's it's <laughs> a nightmare. Like I mean, like I think, <laughs> I mean, Dune was gonna win that award no matter what. Uh, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd have to go back and see what the shortlist was for that. But I can guarantee you that there are so many other films with special effects consider like so many v- beautiful special effects that weren't even close to getting nominated. But yeah, we got free guy, which, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that got there more were- nominations than free or uh, French dispatch. Right. No French dispatch on this, which we, we saw coming, but yeah, it's still sad. Nothing for red uh, rocket. Yeah. I think there was a chance that French dispatch could have gotten a score nomination or a production design nomination. And it got shut out of both. I, I wasn't, uh, putting money on those bets, but I, I was hoping that that would pan out, but oh well. I thought it was like a long shot of a long shot, unfortunately, because we both really like that film. But yeah, I think I think overall, you know, it, it's an Oscars that I think is fine. Like, it's okay. There's some cool stuff in here. There's some just like, ah, that's sad. But there's nothing here where I'm just like, what the, what, huh? You know, there's nothing like that. It's, it's a very safe year, I guess. Uh, I, ah, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's safe per se what's not safe to you they gave a slow meditative three-hour japanese language film a best picture best director nomination they gave you know like i don't know that's a good highlight yeah i mean i'm just saying like they are there are clear signs that they are developing it's you know it's the academy so they're gonna take baby steps with these things but uh you know there are signs they're they're kind of getting out of their rut like i said the fact they did nominate uh, drive my car over being the Ricardos, which is your very classic Oscar movie uh, type th- nomination. You know, it, there, it, yeah. it does kind of it, the weird thing about the Academy right now is that we f- it feels like we're in this weird sort of like old and new Academy age where it kind of feels like they're fighting each other. Not like there's actual strife, but it kind of feels like the sensibilities of the old class Academy are still kind of fighting their way into the thing. And then they have like these new broader, more international votes coming in that, that represent, you know, more of what a cinema is actually right now. And not like the like stereotypical, like old stuffy British period film gets 15 Oscar nominations or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it, it is, I find that interesting and I don't know how it's going to represent the, the like uh viewing numbers because i feel like the academy awards have gotten less and less actual watchers uh with each progressive year so i don't know what this year's gonna be like supposedly there's gonna be an oscar host this year but they haven't even announced that yet so i don't know what's going on there but 
Yeah. I, I can't know. wait. I, I bet it's going to be wild. <laughs> you think it's, I, <laughs> but my theory is that they haven't announced the host because they just don't want to not figure out that he's canceled or she's canceled. Yeah. Yeah. Joe like Rogan they, is right, exactly. the Oscar. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, like, there's going to be like, they're going to do a thing because they don't want the, the thing to happen with Kevin Hart where like people dig up old tweets and stuff like that. They're going to mm-hmm. get somebody like, um, I don't know who's a comedian right now. Um, not Joe Rogan, but like Aziz Ansari, you know, or, or no, I don't mean like someone who's actually been canceled. I mean, like someone who's like, has he been fully like, canceled though? No, like, uh, what's know. that? Sebastian are, are you, you, Moscato or something like that. They're going to get him. Sebastian Maniscalco. Be, yeah. Yeah. Maniscalco. They're going to be like him. And then people are like, uh, well, he had all these tweets and then like the Academy's like, what? I'm sorry. We can't hear you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Academy awards are in a week. Uh, have fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think I think there it's like Sarah Cooper. Put her put her on the Oscar. She could do it. Um, there are all kinds sure. of comedians who would do great. Uh, but I, sadly, they won't. Pick yeah, them. I've heard people say uh, both in jest and seriously that they should just get the jackass crew to do it. And I'm 100 percent for that. Just let them. <laughs> I say the, Oscars. the Muppets or Cecily Strong. I would. Well, of course, Muppets are like my number one choice of all. Everybody time. wants the Muppets. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a meme at this point. I think, uh, you know, Key and Peele. Give it to them. How fun would that be? There's so many people who could do it. And yeah, they would they I wouldn't mean, get that canceled. Just a little yeah. cancel, a little baby cancellation. That's fine. We can I, handle I think that. Jordan, I think Keen Peel would probably be all right. I mean, but I mean Jordan Peel has a that movie he's working on, so I don't know if that's cutting into his time. But. I think uh yeah. And I think John Mullaney was is probably uh <laughs> he probably he's needs got, another year. Yeah, he's got some uh stuff he was, he needs to he work was on. born to host the Oscars, yeah. but it's just like it's a weird time where I think yeah. the public isn't totally sure what they think of him exactly. And, uh, it's kind of weird, huh? But anyway, he would be good for it. I think or actually, you know what? Patton Oswald, how come they just don't get Patton Oswald to host the Oscars? Yeah, that'd be fun. I don't know. He's Maybe because he's really knowledgeable about film. And he is. You know, he, I, yeah. I, hey, I saw the filibuster from Park, parks and recreation. It was masterful, but okay. I think we should end it there so we can move on to the movies. Uh, but we will, we'll be having our, our usual Oscars episode, closer to the awards like once we've had a chance to see more of the movies the ones that we haven't seen yet uh we've seen i think between the two as we've seen most of them but for sure there are some we haven't and uh we'll be doing our usual oscars if we yeah. pick the winners so we'll be going oh, through and be yeah. like all right what are we gonna pick that's always like a weirdly very popular episode for us right yeah I, yeah. I, and it's evergreen like people come back to it they're really? because i think that's more fun than just being like what do you what's gonna happen mm. you're gonna predict it and it's like I don't know. Like yeah. it's always different, and I don't think that's as entertaining. Sure, but we're gonna give we our reasons even... for why we would pick what we pick. Oh man, I forgot to mention we didn't even talk about the Yak in the Classroom movie that got the surprise international feature nomination. I had never even heard of that movie. I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> I just think it's so funny because I don't even know what that yeah. is. It could be a beautiful movie. I have no idea. I'll probably watch it's gonna it be if this year's Wolfwalkers, right? Where everybody is just like, "This is the best animated film in a generation," and we're gonna be well, like, you know. No, I think it's going to be like this year's octopus teacher where it's people are just like, oh, yeah, maybe what? Like, what is this? And it's just like, yeah. And then they're just like, an octopus. compelling. Yeah. <laughs> There's always yeah. like an animal movie that just shows up. But OK, yeah. anyway, Moonfall. Our first movie of the week is Moonfall. If you're watching this thing, you know, by now a huge problem is heading our way. An emergency meeting is being called at our usual place immediately. Free bagels. I've made a shocking discovery. I need you to get me in touch with NASA immediately. Well, NASA and I aren't really on speaking terms these days. Well, that'll change. When you tell them that the moon is out of orbit. There's no need to panic. Not crazy! 
Why are they lying about all this? It's too late to stop. You knew all this was happening before NASA. You are the unidentified source? Oh, yes. We're dealing with an intelligent entity. We're planning a mission to attack this thing. I'm asking you for your help. Say yes, Brian. How how many times does this happen, Will Ashton, where you, you walked into a movie theater and you, you've sat down and, you know, Roland Emmerich's name in lights, director, co-writer, producer. Mm-hmm. Producer, yeah. And you, you know that it's going to be a disaster film of some kind, like even uh, if it's not like yeah. literally a disaster movie. It's going to be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a disaster, at least in some way. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, who knows? Uh, you saw his last film. I did Midway. 2019. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a movie Directed that it. literally... I only it. remember when you bring it up because I keep forgetting about this movie, but sorry. It, it was a movie. It like, it showed up like at the end of 2019 and it was one of those, like this might be an awards movie, but probably not. And it wasn't like, I think it was, uh, because it, I think 1917 ended up being that sort of like war movie that is like technically brilliant, uh, at least in the eyes of the Oscars and myself. Uh, but yeah, it was like a world war two movie that, Woody Harrelson, I think, was in. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I didn't see it. But his movie before that, the last disaster movie he did, was Independence Day Resurgence. A movie that, to this day, I can't believe exists. It, it's a terrible movie. Um, it is, I think, one of the worst of the like the legacy sequels of this current era. Hmm. It's, I, I think it's garbage. But you love it? I don't love it. I think it's just mediocre. I don't think it's quite yeah. as terrible it's as you make it out to be. It's like, whatever. It's, it's like, terrible. okay. I, I mean, think it's, I think it's, I think it's a little worse than mediocre. Like maybe I don't know. I just I remember I had some interesting ideas, but it just didn't really come together well. But I didn't have any like big expectations for it. So I mean, I would put it above did. like some of his big like like something like Stonewall is a genuine disaster. I didn't see like that, that one. Yeah, he did that the year before. That is like an embarrassment. This that is was like, um yeah yeah Ron Perlman was in that right might as well i don't know i just remember like it was a very uh it it, i think it probably meant well i don't know but it was just like yeah i don't know i mean there's been a lot written and said about that film i don't want to go on at length it's just it it was a we we should say it's it's about the stonewall riots um which was uh between um the the police and like the i think of the gay liberation movement yes and and new york and i think um this was like the late 60s and roland elmerick himself is gay and of course yeah i think it was like a a passion project right so right yeah it's a complicated thing it was just one of those things where it's like, I don't think his heart was in the wrong place. I just think his sensibilities as a director were wildly mm-hmm. miscalculated for a film like that. Now, we should mention, with Roland Emmerich, his disaster movies, what differs them from other movies that he directs is that he typically writes them or co-writes them. So he co-wrote Moonfall, like I said before. Uh, the last movie he co-wrote in addition to directing was independence day resurgence. And then before that, all the way to 2012, which I think is an okay movie. Uh, personally, he also uh, did 10,000 BC, which yes, I saw some movie. of, terrible, I, I, terrible I was movie. pretty bored by it. Yeah. I was kind of like, uh, day after tomorrow before that, which I think one of his best movies, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. really solid. That's the last one of his. I remember enjoying in an unironic way. Like yeah. Having a good yeah. time watching it. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, it's good for its time. And a great showcase for Jake Gyllenhaal early in his career. But uh, 
Godzilla kind of famously, you know, Ooh. his follow-up to Independence Day, which Independence Oof. Day, I think, is like other people would say that that is his like best movie next to like it's one or the other. Independence Day is just like a blast of a blockbuster of the 90s. But then Godzilla, people are like, this should die. And then I mean, people don't really talk about the Patriot, but he didn't write the Patriot. Right. So. Oh, that's uh, I forgot he did that. Well, I actually haven't seen mm-hmm. it. Well, that's the thing. The Patriot people are like Mel Gibson. You know, they don't think of one of them really with that movie. Isn't that one, too? Right. Sorry. Heath Ledger is he in that movie yes. too? Yeah, Heath Ledger uh, and uh, Jason Isaacs and uh, Chris Cooper, I think, isn't it? But yeah, it's you know, ages ago. But then yeah, Godzilla, one of his worst. Uh, and a minute before the Stargate, Universal Soldier, he he's done so many movies. But the point is, Moonfall is interesting to me because he's come back, he's here, and he's making a big old movie, big Moon movie, and it reminds. It's like I said this in my review for Inverse. It takes a lot of the disaster movies he's written over the years and it just collides them. And he kind of like puts other stuff in it. It's like it's Independence Day, but then he also has some like the, the day after tomorrow sort of editing. And then he also has like the like world destruction of 2012. And then he also has some of the really bad writing of Godzilla. And he has a little bit of a movie called Contact, uh, like kind of by way of 2001, A Space Odyssey. And I'm just like, what movie isn't in this? It's amazing. And I'm going to start off by saying Moonfall is a movie that a lot of people are going to hate. And I expect you're going to be like, it's the worst movie I've seen in like 10 minutes. And I love this movie. And ironically, I had so much fun while I was watching this. I was in a press screening. It was an IMAX screening. There were 12 of us. After the movie, you could tell who was most into it. There were three of us. We stayed for the entire credits out of respect. Okay. It, and it was so, it was so bad. Like, I think the reaction from the, those critics who left first, that the publicist was gone when we left. The publicist was just like, I give up <laughs> because they must have well, endured so yeah. much. That has never happened to me before. The publicist is always the last one. They ask every mm-hmm. single person. And I think by the time we left, they were just like, it's a lost cause. Right. And they they were wrong because we walked out and we were fist bumping, you know, not real, like metaphorically because of COVID. But we were just like, yes, Moonfall. This is it. This Elbow is bumping. This is the movie. Um, so I obviously loved it. It's about the what if the moon was uh, what what if the moon was um, a an alien thing and it broke out of orbit and it's coming to Earth and there's like AI now and it's good in the world's ending and astronauts and, 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 and it just keeps going from there. Uh, it's, it's a perfect movie. Uh, Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry, John Bradley, uh, which I don't know if I think I've ever seen him in a film before, but game of Thrones fame. Uh, he plays Samuel Tarly, Michael Pena for some reason, Charlie Plummer for some reason, Kelly, you and Donald Sutherland for every reason. This movie rules it costs $146 million to make box office. It's terrible. It's one of the biggest flops in a minute. I think it only made 10 million so far. Will Ashton, tell me how much you loved Moonfall. Uh, well, I didn't really have uh, any expectations, even keeping your enthusiasm in mind. I was just like, yeah, it's another Roland Emmerich movie. But I could see why people had some kind of uh, nostalgic uh um, excitement for this film because yeah, you were it, like, you know, why is John over the moon for Moonfall? Right. Yeah, that because, mean, that's a bad yeah. sign for you, right? But um, no, I mean, 
I was going to make that joke before you beat me to the punch where it, it did watching it feel like a kind of mixtape version of a Rowan Emmerich movie. Like you said, it has like the kind of uh, elements from Day After Tomorrow, obviously Independence Day 2012. And, you know, it, it just kind of felt like him kind of going back to the well in some respects after, you know, the past decade or so. He's been kind of in this weird place where he's like trying to get away from the disaster movies after 2012 with like anonymous and uh some of the other movies you mentioned like stonewall and even to some respects like 10,000 bc where he's like kind of trying to like etch his own way out but then he kind of comes back with independence day 2 and now obviously with this one where he's just like i know who i am i know what type of filmmaker i am i'm just gonna kind of own up to it and i think there is some appeal to that with this type of film however i feel like I didn't have the same fun that you and some other critics had because of course I, you I, didn't. And I, I never expected it. I really didn't. And I mean, like it's, it's self-aware. Like I think some folks are acting like it's not, it's pretty self-aware about itself. It's a big budget B movie. Uh, it's, it's like, you B know, for sort of, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it has like, a caliber actors kind of phoning it in a little bit. You got like, you know, like these like comedic personalities, like um, who's that British guy who's in this? Um, I don't know his name. The British actor. guy who's in this. Um, he's like the third. Who, which the character film. was he? The like main. He's like basically like almost the main character of the film outside of Patrick Wilson. Um, oh, oh he, the one I mentioned before, John Bradley. John Bradley. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, basically like kind of getting, he, he seems to be the one that's most invested in this thing. Oh, he's and, so committed. I hope he gets I, so many roles after this. He deserves it. And I feel like he almost makes this movie work for me because he's like, he's not funny. And he's not given funny things to do, but Disagree. clearly his heart is in it in a way that like Patrick Wilson, I feel like is just like, maybe not phony it in, but it doesn't feel like he's putting his whole heart into this. He's and flexing. He's like, I've been working out. Have you noticed? Like the the right. entire movie, right? Like the angles. Yeah. He's just like, yeah. Was that him or was that Roland? Do you think? Like, I do you oh, think? probably. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, I mean, if I looked that good at Patrick yeah. Wilson's age, I'd, I'd be on top of it. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, but, but I agree yeah. with you about I agree with you about John Bradley. And when he does that line about Fuzz Aldrin, one of the biggest laugh out loud moments I've had in quite a while. I mean, that was pretty cringe. And also all the stuff where they're pandering to Elon Musk was pretty extra cringe. It's so, uh, so yeah, that is yeah. the cr- the cringiest stuff about the movie. And the stuff that really holds it back for me is like the conspiracy theory stuff just does not hit very well. Like I think Emmerich thought it would because read the room, dude. But I think it's just like an unfortunate timing thing because like the idea of like, what if a Redditor, we took a Redditor QAnon or to space is kind of what this is. Yeah, which I think is a kind of, I, I like I said, I think, if maybe the movie focused more on him and less on Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry, I think I'd be more endeared with the film. But obviously they can't because they need like stars like Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry to carry this thing. But whenever they were on screen, like not that they're bad actors, obviously, but I just felt like I was never engaged with it because they just didn't really seem to be super engaged with the material. And I was just like, OK, like I feel like all their scenes, I'm just kind of waiting for them to play out so we can get to the, you know, big, expensive uh, crash and dash of the world exploding and the moon causing the, everything to the fall to bits and stuff like that. But I will say, I mean, I was starting to get into the movie once we were actually in space and we spent more time with John Bradley's character and we kind of got into like the like 2001 aping stuff like that was more fun to me than 
the, the the setup, but there's just so much setup with this movie. And that first just, the I, setup is like a Transformers movie. Right. Like it's it's, it's kind of have it has like a Michael Bay sort of frantic energy to it. I guess it just I just thought it was kind of boring. Like it just felt like it was a lot of setup. Roland Emmerich clearly isn't a good writer. He's never really been a good writer. And it's just like it, it felt like a lot of padding out to me to get to the good stuff. And I would be fine with that. This was maybe 90 minutes long, but it's like two, almost two and a half hours. And it just <laughs> so totally long. went on for yeah, so two hours, long. 10 minutes. Right. You know who was supposed to be uh, the conspiracy theorist guy first? The first casting? No, I don't. Josh Gad. Oof, Which yeah. I'm kind of curious about that. Like, what is that movie? Because like with Josh Gad, you have like a proven comedian. And I think John Bradley isn't really a comedian, but he's like kind of trying. And I think that, I think he's really solid in this. But I do think like if you had had Josh Gad, I wonder if like while they were making it, they would have leaned it more into being like a full on comedy because it has that self-awareness you mentioned where sometimes it's being funny. Sometimes it knows that it's being silly. Other times it's taking itself seriously. And personally, I thought the balance was fine because I think that like every scene, the the way the tone just like completely changes from scene to scene. I was okay with it because I always felt like it was the right tone for that scene. It's just like, it's so wild and out there and chaotic that I'm okay with the chaos. And I think that that is a very specific thing that just does is not going to work for everybody. And it's not going to like, yeah, it's not going to pan out for like everybody's interest, but I don't know. I I just want to celebrate this movie and, and show it all the love in the world. that it's not getting from anybody else. I mean, come on. I, I get where you're coming from and I wish I shared your enthusiasm for it. I guess I just, maybe it just, I ultimately don't think Rowan Emmerich is, even uh i just feel like he's just not competent enough as a filmmaker to really pull this thing off even though he's been doing this for 20 30 years at this point like i mean he's got the special effects vfx stuff down like i mean there's no other guy in hollywood who can show a world collapsing quite like he can and you know uh seeing monuments fall apart uh you know has always been his uh forte but everything else is just you know I'm kind of playing the expected beats, I feel like, for the most part. But I will say, I mean, I appreciate him, you know, by the end, just being like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to make my own interstellar. He's like, we already have interstellar. He's like, yeah, you know what? But I want to make my own interstellar. And it's like, you know, I, I think that's where I kind of find myself endeared to film the way you are. But ultimately, I just don't I don't think there's enough here to really win me over as much as it won you over. I think we we disagree, but not in spirit. I think I think there is like a weird understanding of like where where we both know what this movie is, and I think I think I'm at peace with uh, your take, uh, despite you know how obviously different we are and how spread. But I mean, Will, are you scared of the moon? That is my biggest question to you because I have always been scared of the moon. I think it's like terrifying. ironically, or are you unironically, like, okay. it's terrifying. The moon could so easily kill us all it has to do like like what we saw in this movie was child's play based on like the havoc of like what the moon breaking orbit would actually really do and i i like movies like this where i get to face my fears what about melancholia where do you stand on that film oh my gosh and and like see that's the thing with moonfall i needed i needed this because melancholia is really where this maybe kind of started too. like the idea of the moon being bigger and bigger and getting closer and closer. And then Mm -hmm. that's it. Stuff like that. Just like it it creeps me out, skis me out. And this movie just like finally did the full, just like it's okay to be scared. (laughs) And so it hit me pretty emotionally. I'm not gonna lie to you. 
Well, it is interesting to me that we have uh, around the same time two movies from two fairly prominent filmmakers doing very deliberate metaphors for climate change mm, yeah. revolving around the world ending. Obviously, the other one being the Academy Award nominated Don't Look Up from Adam McKay. And now we got, you know, the working man version, which is uh, Roland Emmerich's uh, Moonfall. And I don't think either of them completely pull off that thing the way they want to. But at the same time, I kind of admire this one's gruff more than I admire whatever Adam McKay was trying to do with his film. Should we play the Rotten Tomatoes game for Moonfall? Sure. Let's look at it. Okay. These are some interesting scores. I'm looking at this mm. for the first time. All right, Will. So we're looking at a movie that has 149 reviews counted on Rotten Tomatoes from critics. So pretty standard. What do you think the tomato meter is percentage-wise? I'm thinking it's somewhere between like 23% and like 45%, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, but I think there are enough people in its corner, including you and your review, that it's probably like 42%. You're not that far off. It's 39. Okay, you're not a few. And yeah, 39%. It's been all over the place. Uh, when I When I first put my review on there, it was like around 44, 45, it dropped to 40, then it dropped a little further, then it came back up. Who knows? You know, maybe like these reviews could double and get even higher. But let's look at the audience scores because this is interesting. We have 500 plus verified ratings. I think that's all the people who actually went to the box office. Yeah, to I was going to say, it's kind of <laughs> funny to me. That's a lot higher me. than usual. It's funny to me that like you went to a press screening that was like, way more highly attended than my actual public screen yeah. of the film which had and you you saw it like people. you saw yeah. it at like a time when it would there would be people there right i saw it during the like whatever the bargain matinee is called now like the like sweet spot time like a 4 30 yeah. showing where like they're like they're they're expecting people to come in because the seats are cheaper uh, and there were only two people there so it's, i i think everyone's just seeing jackass forever besides sean the crony uh that's right so, yeah, I didn't see that movie. Which yeah, is why no, we talk not... about that in our uh, bonus episode with Corey Witcher before we talk. Yeah, about you just complain a, about me in general. Just be like, a big John old wimp. You can't <laughs> handle the jackass movies for some reason. Right? Yeah, that's what it is. Huh? Uh, but okay, audience score. What do you think it is for Moonfall? Uh sixty-three percent. I know what you're going to say when I say this, but I'm just going to say it. Sixty-nine percent. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah, I was yeah, kind of nice. close. Yeah, yeah, you weren't far off on that one either. So you know what, Moonfall, you weren't you weren't in the exact orbit. Still the end of the world, but uh, you know, yeah, you, you you got where you needed to go there. All right. Sure. Oh, and should we do the letterbox rate? Actually, no. I have to look up the cinema score because oh, I got to know. I I got to uh, know what it is. Oh, okay. while you're setting that up, uh, I was going to ask you about Moonfall. Did you kind of notice the COVIDness of it? Like that was shot in 2020. Um, not particularly, but I mean, I certainly got like the, a hint that these had to be, know. there weren't a lot of extras, like there right. weren't a lot of shots of crowds or anything. Yeah. But it was just like a lot of like clothes. Like, it looked like there were a lot of like actual sets involved and like, uh, you know, like, like I said, there weren't a lot of extras. So it was kind of like, is this like a cheaper production for Roland Emmerich? 
And it's like, not really. So I guess this is all just COVID stuff. That's the thing. Um, it's like, I think they spent so much money on the effects. The special effects weirdly, yeah. because the effects are not good. But uh, Some you know. of them are okay. I mean, towards the end, some of the effects are pretty good, and some of them are not good at all. I think the worst effects um, are, like, on Earth. I mean, like, that yes. stuff is just, like, terrible. Yeah, that looks terrible. Uh, um, though, I gotta say, uh, how about the Lexus stuff, too? I was gonna bring that up earlier. The what? All the stuff with Lexus, the car. Oh, my gosh. Company. Brilliant. Look. Yes. There's a, More of it. I, there wasn't enough. There wasn't I, enough product placement. <laughs> I, I, I kind of almost admired it because it got to like a community level where it's like yeah. almost like a joke where it's like it's part the, of the, scene, story. <laughs> the scene where we have Michael Pena being introduced, like yeah. the opening shot where he's supposed to be introduced, like he isn't in on screen for like two minutes because they're slowly panning over yeah. the Lexus logo and all the Lexus cars and a lot. And like I was kind of hoping that the scene would end just like as soon as we saw Michael Pena, it would just cut. <laughs> like it was just like the camera didn't even get to him on time. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say I more love, would yeah. spoil things, but I d- there's well, there, there are certain things I love that they do with these characters to like. Yeah, Lexus is the hero. <laughs> there's a, there's a scene with a car chase with a Lexus. Oh and my it's just, gosh! <laughs> it's literally in like a vortex tornado, and you literally and, they have a choice between a Lexus and a military convoy vehicle, and they stick that, with the Lexus. And it was a good choice because that Lexus doesn't get a dent <laughs> or a scratch on it. And it's in like a yeah, vortex, yeah. like like the world's literally coming apart and the car is in pristine condition it's amazing it's the that best scene, it was the best scene in, in the movie for me i was gonna say for me like that was a scene where i was like okay i get where john's coming from with it because that scene is exactly <laughs> what i want from rolling that scene and the scene where the rocket's about to launch and there's like a tidal wave tornado oh my coming. word i i was sitting there leaning back and being like i'm in good hands with this movie that if the movie was on that level for the whole thing i would be exactly where you are unfortunately i feel like it's not all right what but do you think anyway. the cinema score is watching Cinema score, I'm going to say C+. Perfect. You got there. Oh, wow. C plus cinema score. Um, so that that is Moonfall. I think it's safe to say we both love the movie. No notes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Letterbox rating. I'll just say it so we can move on. But 2.2. Okay. That's pretty bad. Oh, that's lower really than low. I was going to guess. I was going to say like 2.8 or something or 2.4. No, that's, pretty, that's pretty bad. I haven't seen a movie that low in a while. All right. Our next film, Drive My Car. We talked about this film earlier. It is a 2021 film that is now it's hitting a wider release. So we're ready to talk about it. I saw it in December, I want to say, and you just saw it. So you're fresh on it. And uh, it was one of my favorite movies of 2021. It was in my top uh, 11. I think it was my number 11 of the year. It is a Japanese film. It's very long, three hours, but I think worth every second. It was co-written and directed by Rusuke Hamaguchi. It is based on a short story by Haruki Murakami. And it is, uh, it's from a short story collection, I forgot to say, uh, called Men Without Women. And I, I don't want to get too much into the plot of it because uh, it, it almost kind of spoils it. But here, here's what I will say. This movie is, it's about a, an actor who is married to a film screenwriter. And, you know, the movie kind of opens up with like their marriage and where it's at. And we quickly find out that she has sort of like built this career out of like screenwriting. And like, she like wakes up, you know, in the middle of the night or, you know, it's implied like, you know, right after intercourse and is like writing a movie in her mind. And then the film kind of goes from there. And it's sort of about how this man who loves his car, he drives this beautiful red vehicle and he finds out though that there's an issue with his eyesight and he has to have a a driver say again a glaucoma glaucoma he has glaucoma in one eye yeah but also it's not just that it's also that like there was an accident i think with a previous car under the company he's employed by there was an accident previously where they they don't want the liability of him um 
getting in an accident. So they have a driver and a very strict rule about drivers on Seth. So, yeah. Right. The, the point is that he has vision loss and, you know, he still he still wants to, you know, do his thing, uh, but he can't he can't drive, which is like one of his favorite things to do. So as he starts to uh, do this adaptation of Uncle Vanya for a play where he is directing and he's casting and everything, he has this driver who is this young woman and a uh, terrific performance. And she kind of drives him and it's, it's a movie sort of about their sort of like budding, you know, friendship, like developing over time, driving Mr. Daisy, if you will. Uh, just kidding. And I think this film, you know, it's, it's a Risco Hamaguchi movie. And I think that, you know, obviously whenever he makes a movie or does anything, people certainly pay attention. Uh, I think he's probably, uh, let's see, he was nominated for some awards for this one, but I'm trying to remember if he was, has he ever been nominated for an Oscar before or am i just like imagining no, I so. that no i know he had wheel of but, fortune and fantasy also from right. this year which yes. i think you saw but his previous film was very well acclaimed not uh, not only wheel of fortune fantasy but um oh was it uh, a akumo one and two um uh it, it was a film one made, two. Uh, sorry asako one and two i have not seen that film. i've only seen uh wheel of fortune fantasy prior to this but uh, i haven't seen it yeah. either that one I remember. That was one that like because that was premiered at Cannes, and that was a that was a really big hit as well. And like you said, I think this movie premiered a, at Cannes as well, right? Uh, yeah, and the um, Wheel of Fortune Fantasy premiered at Berlin. Um, so yeah, I mean he's been proving himself for a while now, but yeah, these three films uh, really put him on the map in a big way. And now, obviously, with the mm-hmm. Oscar nominations that he's gotten for Drive My Car, he's probably going to be you know huge. Uh, a boon for the, him, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has art house scene, yeah. It's it's the first we didn't say this before. It's the first Japanese film ever nominated for Best Picture, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's a great uh, accomplishment for him, and I think it's a terrific movie. It's coming to us from Bitters, and like I said before, it is long. It's 179 minutes. It's going to take you a while to watch it, but I do think that this is a movie where I obviously I left out a lot of the plot and sort of what drives the emotion of the movie on purpose. And it kind of, if it sounds simplistic, it's because I do not want to give things away, but yeah, I'll just say like I, my measure of this movie has not faded. I, I still think that it is a tremendous movie. I can't wait to watch it again, but Will, what did you think of Drive My Car now that you saw it and you saw it in theaters, right? So like you got a different yes. experience out of it than I did. Yeah. Um, we, I saw it at the theater where I worked the Harris theater. We've been playing it for the past, uh, well, we played it for a week, uh, the week that was at Sundance. So I didn't see it then. Then we had a European film festival. Uh, the week after and now we got back and it's doing really well for us obviously because you know it's gotten so much buzz and it's probably going to do even better in the week or two ahead because of uh, all the oscar nominations but yeah i mean my expectations were certainly very high from you and very various other critics and film aficionados being so favorable on the film but also you know like it's something where it's like i really hope this is good because if it's not that three-hour film runtime is going to be a long sit and i think it's a credit to uh the director as the same with uh wheel fortune fantasy where he has this way of like playing the story out where like obviously with this type of film there's a two two hour version you could do it's not impossible like it's it's not the film where it's like it justifies its runtime because it's like an epic story but it's hard to imagine a version of this film that's any shorter than it is because it just feels so much lesser it's a film where like every little moment seems to count every little breathing second just seems to carry so much weight and depth but also there's this gentle calmness to it that is established throughout its three-hour runtime that just really gives it this 
grace and fluidity that is just really absorbing and powerful to watch. And uh, yeah, it's one of the most uh, absorbing theater experiences I've had in quite a few months. And I definitely found myself really taken by the film pretty much instantly. It really is. It's one of those movies where it's just mesmerizing when you're watching it. Like it just kind of puts you, you know, we say like movies can be very immersive. You kind of feel like you're in the movie and everything. I didn't just feel like I was in the movie. I felt like I was in their headspace. Like I felt like when they're driving and we have these shots and they're having conversations, they're sitting in the back seat. There's like this 10 minute sequence that is just incredible. And I, I just, I felt like, not that I was in the car with them. I felt like I was in their heads, like hearing their thoughts through the acting. It was such a profound experience for me. Like I, I really like the more I, I've thought about it too, it's like, it's only sort of, it's aged really well for me. Cause like when I look back on the movie and I look back on my favorite things about it, some things that I didn't love as much. Uh, I think one of the things that I don't love a ton is some of the sort of drama involving like an actor who's part of the play and just some sort of things going on between him and the main character where it just sort of hit a note where I was like a little uncertain about like what the movie's message was, but I think it all comes together really well. It's like, by the time you get to the last like 30, 45 minutes, I think it just, at that point, that's when the movie felt the quickest for me. It was just like, boom, like, you know, at that point it had been slow burning and slow burning and this kind of happened and this is interesting. And then the movie just takes off uh, in a way that I think is really effective. So great movie. I mean, it really is. And one of the few movies I've mentioned this before where I want that car. I want to drive it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a film that makes you want to drive, and it's one that makes you want to smoke, and it's one that makes you want to drink. I was about to mention that. that. Yeah, like drive all, like, yeah, the cigarette through the sunroof. Yeah. Right. But thankfully, you know, not drinking and driving, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, like you say, it's just such an oddly immersive film where it's like, it's not like a lot of major things seem to be happening on screen at any given moment. There is just something though about it that is very magnetizing and pulling. I know similar to you, that scene you're talking about with them in the back of the car that goes on 10 or 15 minutes. What I found so powerful watching that scene was that the theater, at least that I was in, you know, it wasn't like a rowdy crowd, but you know, it was like a bunch of people in there, especially for like a COVID screening. Uh, and you know, like, you know, everyone's kind of like eating their popcorn and like, you know, kind of shuffling their feet and doing the different things throughout the movie. But like that scene and a few others, a pin drop could have fell and, you know, dead silent everyone. And so it was like, so transfixing to watch. Like, it's just like everyone was hanging on literally to every single word that was being said in that scene. And it's just stuff like that. I find so magical and so rewarding about film. And so especially like this fairly mature, grounded, thoughtful, lyrical films like this, where, you know, obviously we champion independent cinema here because I feel like those are where the more interesting and nuanced films tend to be. But just like, this is such a great example of like what I hope continues to last with like art house cinema, because like, where else are you going to really see films like this? Like your AMC outside of maybe like the Oscar uh, best picture, you know, uh, marathon isn't going to really play a film like this for the most part. And it's just so rewarding to see like a film like this, where, like you said, you get really immersed into it. You really feel like you're going not like into like a whole other world, but you just feel like you're getting into someone's headspace in a very beautiful and resonant way. And that just makes the final cathartic moments at the end, all the more powerful. So yeah, really tremendous stuff to watch. Agreed. And I, I think one way to sum up this movie without spoiling anything is I think ultimately it's a movie about communication. You know, it, it's a movie where 
it, it really is about the way we communicate, not just non-verbally, but through different languages and through our expressions and um, just like how like the inventiveness by example for example of like the uncle vanya adaptation and the emotion that comes through the sign language in this film like you know watching a movie like coda earlier in 2021 which had a lot of scenes like that where you're sort of relying on the you know the sign language and how subtle the sign language can be i know sound of metal was really great with that but i think this movie really brought it like i think that there was just something about uh one scene in particular where a character was doing sign language in a way that was emotional without being like over the top emotional or like sort of like really overselling it that I don't know. It's just stuff like that where you really feel like the actor and the director are fully committed to like perfection in terms of like, what is this getting across? And is this really like in in the right sync Mm -hmm. with what this movie is like overall saying? And yeah, it's just like, you get not just that you get that like throughout the whole movie. It's just like, you know, point by point by point, like Mm -hmm. every scene feels um, like important and progressive and just like building upon the next. And it was interesting too, because like, it's not like a film. There are other slow burn films like this, right. That are very long, like burning or whatever, which those movies tend to have that sort of like, it's, it's yeah. building to something, you know, I was, like, what's it going to be? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about burning a lot, especially the way that it has like sort of like literary quality to it, especially cause that filmmaker was previously a novelist, I believe. Yeah. And, but that's the thing is like this movie sort of defies the craft in that way where it's not like that. It's not really building toward that kind of thing. It really is just sort of like it's just building toward emotional catharsis that is only happening internally. And like, yeah, there's just something about like the audacity of that, that like it defies every screenwriting book. It defies like all of these things that we understand about plot structure. But like you said, like that's the point of art house cinema. It's like, okay, let's stretch the boundaries of what is usually commercially successful. We have those movies and we love them too. But what art house can do is it can evoke and inspire like a totally different mood and feeling through characters like this, even though, yeah, it's, it's certainly an acquired taste. And, uh, I do not bemoan sure. anybody who checks this out and is just like, uh, I don't get it. Cause like, it's, yeah. it's definitely not a, a, a very accessible film for, for some people. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like it's more accessible than some people might expect. That's what I find so surprising about the film is I think, on its own merits, it's easy to kind of get transfixed by it, even if this isn't really technically your type of thing, at least if you give yourself to it. And I feel like that's why it's so powerful to watch this in art house cinema, because I feel like a movie like this, you know, you can watch it at home. I think you watched it at home uh, and I don't think it loses that value to it. But I think just being in a theater where you put your phone away and you're just with it for three hours, literally, it just becomes all the more powerful and transfixing because you can just really devote your time and attention yeah. to it in a really uh, meaningful way. But I mean, that's not to say that you won't get that experience if you watch it at home. I don't want to say like you can only enjoy it if you see it in theaters or whatever. But if you can see it in theaters, I think it becomes all the more powerful and richer. But yeah, I mean, going off what you said before, I do think that the movie also is really engaging and thoughtful in the way that like how it explores the way that we use art or the way we create and consume art to make ourselves like aware of our emotions and become more powerful but also just like watching performance and like giving performance is just it's such a you know it's something that's like time honored and true as far as like art and fair principles but the way that's communicated here is so lyrical and thoughtful that it just it, it really it brings a real emotional catharsis in some uh subtle and beautiful ways i think especially by the end 
Totally agree. And I was even talking to a friend about this not too long ago who, you know, they, they watch a lot of movies and everything. But you know, one thing about him is that he he tends to get really sick, like of movies very quickly. He likes TV shows more. And so like, usually when he watches a movie, he'll watch like a, you know, 90 minute, you know, 88 minute movie. And he's like, I get bored so quick. And, but he watched drive my car, you know, kind of on a lark. And he said that he was just like completely absorbed, you know, a, a person who can barely get through a 90 minute movie. Who's usually like, ah, you know, I'd rather just watch a, a single episode of a TV show and I'm good. He, he, he saw this in a theater and he was just like the time flew. And like, absolutely loved it. So you're right. I, I do think there is that accessibility. It's just like, I, I'm curious, you know, it's like, who's that person? Cause I know some people who saw this and they didn't love it as much, but you can never, you can never predict these things. But I do think that, yeah, it is worth seeking out. I haven't seen the trailer for it, so I'm not sure how much, you know, the trailer sort of gets mm-hmm. into like what the real vibe of this thing is and like what people can expect from it. Watching it totally without any, like I had some expectation cause the reviews were good, but I didn't know what it was about. I didn't, I hadn't seen Hamaguchi's other films. So I was like, I don't really know what this is. Like, I don't know, like who is this director? Like what, what is it that he sort of brings to the table? And I, yeah, I was certainly very pleased, but uh, I think that's all I have for this movie. Was there anything mm-hmm. else? Like, I feel we we just we just love it. We're into it. We want more. Yeah, Drive I mean, I do think. Yeah, sure. Uh, I I do think uh, if you can see Wheel Fortune Fantasy, it's a great companion piece. This film, I think they both I stand on, on their own merits. But I think the way that those movies like uh, explore not only how literature can you know uh, expose some of our insecurities and greatest emotions even when we're not fully aware of them aware of them but also just the way that it just explores like how human connection can be this kind of fragile and gentle thing that can you know kind of have a ripple effect in ways that don't fully resonate with us until sometimes later on it's just you know it's very you know simple things but they're done so eloquently and so simply as you mentioned but with like great depth and nuance at the same time and it's just you know it's a showcase of a really tremendous director and i'm really uh happy that he was able to get recognized not only with best picture but with um best adapted screenplay and best director i think both are very well warranted here and i hope he makes a lot more terrific films moving forward and i look forward to checking out his past stuff as well same yeah this movie like i literally think about this movie while i drive and i'm like she was so good at driving how does she do it and I've, I've tried to like improve my driving <laughs> feeling like i want to be as good at driving as she is that's cool yeah but uh, oh um I mean, I I do agree with her performance being great, but like, um, uh, what's the name of the lead actor here? Um, uh, the name, so yeah, the name of the lead actor is, uh, and I'm probably going true. to absolutely butcher this, so I apologize in advance. Yusuke Kafuku. Yusuke Kafuku. I think that's how you say it. Okay, I was gonna say. I mean, the fact that he, I mean, I'm sure he was at least moderately considered for best actor, but I think he gives one of the best male lead performances or any performances I've seen this year. And I, I think the fact that, I mean, I am not saying that anyone nominated for best actor in this race is like undeserving per se, but the fact that he wasn't really in that ca- that conversation much this year is I think a great shame. Oh, sorry. I, I said the name of the character and not the, oh, I've been doing sorry, that the whole bad. time. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to set the record straight. Mm. So <laughs> the name of the actor is Hidetoshi Nishijima. Okay. And the name of the actor who plays the the woman who drives the car is Toko Miura. Sorry about that. So <laughs> I'm not. Well, as I, just, mm-hmm. I just really wanted to, to highlight his performance. I thought it's really tremendous. Yeah, I think and, if this was English yeah. language, they would have gotten nominations probably. But, you know, that's well, that's I mean, that's the industry. 
Yeah, I mean, it just kind of feels like, you know, like we were talking about that with Worst Person in the World before. And also, I mean, going back to like Parasite, like a movie that got how many Oscars, but no acting nominations, which is, you know, kind of absurd. Um, you know, right. I mean, obviously, like Penelope Cruz got nominated for Parallel Mothers, so it's not like they're completely blind to this stuff. But, you know, Penelope Cruz is already a major actress. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, there there are there have been exceptions, obviously, like Marion Cotillard with Levine and Rose, stuff like that. But more often than not, it seems like they, they have like uh, a blind spot for these foreign language performances. And, you know, I mean, it just it's getting kind of frustrating, to be honest. Agreed. But let's let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game, which is going to be interesting for this movie. Uh, I'll say why in a second. We have 140, another movie with 146 exactly uh, reviews counted. What do you think the critic score is for this one? Oh, it's got to be high. It's probably like 98% or something really high like exactly, that. Exactly. 98%. When I, I remember right before I saw it, it was at 100. Yeah. And uh, I got to see who gave it rotten. It has three rotten reviews. And I just want to see if I recognize. Oh, yeah. Armand White. There you go. Oh, really? OK. Yeah. That's like almost like a joke at this point. Like him yeah, and Cole yeah. Smithy are going to come can, out. You of can just say sounds and... about Armand Wright. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, audience. Was, score, what do you think? We have 100 plus ratings for that. Um, I was just going to say I was reading Armand White's uh, review of Rifkin's Festival recently, which is actually a pretty fun takedown. I don't want to come across as too negative on Armand White. But yeah, he does have a. OK. Does have a pattern of being quite a contrarian, to say the least. But audience score seventy nine percent. Ooh, eighty two percent. Not far off, okay. but it's a little higher, which I'm happy figured, about. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I didn't yeah. know. I, I figured it'd be a little bit lower than the critics, maybe because like they felt like expectations were too high, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever. I mean, the the audience scores tend to have uh, some shady characters sometimes with some of these. The car Movies? is a character, Will Ashton. That is true. A car is a character. I it's heard they don't make that model anymore. Uh, well, yeah, it's like car. a 90s car, isn't it? Or 80s, maybe? Late sure. 80s? Sure. Do you think um, they'll bring it back? <laughs> they should. I'd buy it. Yeah. Not really, but uh, okay. And uh, Letterbox, I'll say real quick, 4.2, which is a lot higher than most movies. Like, uh, more than four oh. is pretty good. That's uh, twice the score that Moonfall got. Yeah, well, it's twice the movie <laughs> in sure. many different ways. Twice I mean, the not line. in terms oh, of runtime, yeah. I guess. But I guess that's a, actually, yeah, you're, that's a good point. I was about uh, to say, but yeah, yeah. No cinema score, I'm assuming, for Drive My Car? No cinema score, but I imagine it would be kind of uh, in line with the audience score, perhaps. But that is Drive My Car. It's playing in limited release and might be getting a bit of an Oscars push as well. So it might be coming to a theater near you. All right, let's finish well, out the show here. Well, I was gonna, what were you saying, though, like about the audience score for Drive My Car? I just wondered the, if it might be in line with if, if there was a cinema score. OK, so you're saying like they'd give it like a B plus or a B or something. Yeah, it's like in that zone. Yeah, B plus probably yeah. is the safest guess. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, Drive My Car, it's pretty good. But like Sing 2, what a picture. <laughs> That's just Garth Jennings, though. You're right. Um, all right. Well, let's let's finish out the show with another review here our last one the fallout is a sort of a a drama it's like a high school drama and uh, i'm curious should i say what this movie is really about you know because i think some people have said it's like don't talk about it you know let people watch it because part of it is like that revelation i guess what do you think i mean we're coming into this fairly late we saw it way back in south by southwest so we talked about it a year ago we talked about during a South by Southwest episode, um, probably a good length. Um, so, yeah, 
just say it. You know, if if you're if you want to go in without if you want to go in blind, pause this episode, watch the movie, come back. Otherwise, uh, we're just going to talk very broadly about the plot of the film. Yes. Now, one of the interesting things about this movie is that, well, first of all, it's directed by Megan Park and Megan Park was a main character in a show that is very important to me for very funny reasons called The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Will Ashton, have you seen every episode of The Secret Life of the American Teenager or just most of them, like more than half? Uh, no, I haven't seen that film or haven't seen that show. Uh, <laughs> but isn't uh, I found uh, out recently that uh, Steve Sherpa, Sharipa yes. from Sopranos. Yeah, that was my introduction to him. Really? Because, that, yeah, that show was after The Sopranos, and yeah. I had never seen him before. And I remember, you know, him being like a big deal. He's like the name, he's like the one of the main character's uh, parents. He's a father in the okay. movie. And I remember him being like my favorite character in the show. Really? But uh, okay. it's a terrible show. No one should watch it, but everyone should watch That's, it. Uh, so <laughs> the Shane Lee Woodley one? Yeah, that, that was like Shailene yeah. Woodley's, like, I think breakthrough sort of into pop culture because it was a pop culturally relevant show it was a show that people love to hate it was, it was on what was used to be called abc family and she would go on to like i think descendants and uh what was that one with uh spectacular now like those movies started to push her you know out of that show's shadow right like by the time we get to divergent she's like on a totally different trajectory she's you know what Mar- mary jane watson you know for <laughs> for uh amazing spider-man 3 which definitely happened on the cutting room floor she is Oh yeah, for Amazing Spider-Man get 2, in yeah. the movie. Ex- they exist somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the fallout is a a high school drama. Like you said, we're going to give away kind of what happens because you don't really know what kind of movie this is until. Um, and I'll set it up right. So we get to know this one character who is played by Jenna Ortega, who we just saw, of course, in Scream Five. And you know, she's kind of just like a an average everyday kind of teenager. You know, she wears kind of baggy clothes. You know, she has she's very individualistic. She has a little sister who bugs her. It's fun. She is in school, and Maddie Ziegler plays a girl who is in this bas- bathroom while she's in there, and she's like this big popular like Instagram semi famous person. And they kind of have a fun little moment of like you know oh yeah you know like there's a li- they're very different, but like there's a little bit of like uh, you know they're, they they think that the other person's kind of cool, and then a school shooting happens. And like, they just, they hear the gunshots and they kind of like crowd into like a bathroom stall with another student and they have to endure it. And it's harrowing because we, like you said, we watched this during South by Southwest and I had no idea. I don't remember if the premise gave that away. I didn't read it. So like I hadn't, I did not see that coming, you know, like I didn't know that's what it was. Right. It's kind of like mass in that way. Uh, I'll just give away what Mass is about. But, you know, it's like you don't really know, like, what are they... Like, when that movie first premiered, it's like, what is the, like, thing behind that, you know, two-hour conversation is about to happen? And this is kind of similar in that sense. And then once that happens, yeah, like, the name implies, it's about the fallout of a school shooting, how these students sort of have to, like, grapple with, like, the emotional trauma of it, you know, their growing friendship and, like, you know, the way they feel about each other and just sort of, like, navigating, like, what this sort of thing is specifically doing to people. Shailene Woodley is in the movie, Julie Bowen. Uh, it's a it's a good cast, I think. And I think, I think it's a good movie. But, yeah, it sounds like you had a thought there. No, I was going to say, I mean, for me, I feel like... Uh, well, first, I was going to joke... That you're just going to be spoiling all these movies. Why don't you just get seven and usual yeah, suspects yeah. and Fight Club out of the way while you're at it? Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say with this movie, I didn't know. Similarly, I didn't have an idea of what it was. Like I didn't read a synopsis going into it. But I feel like the beginning of the film was so like tranquil and like 
had this kind of calm before the storm feel to it that was like something bad's gonna happen like i don't know what exactly it's gonna be but i have a hunch and sure enough that hunch did play out but the payoff or like not the payoff but like the build up to that scene is you know just really impactful as far as just like kind of capturing that like kind of mundane quality to the film's benefit of just like having like a sort of normal average everyday high school experience and then you know one of the worst things that could happen happens and everything changes yeah yeah it's it's a very american movie in that sense right like america has like an issue with this that is very unique it doesn't happen in a lot of other countries and it doesn't happen in at this scale right and yeah this movie is kind of like touching on a lot of current events and stuff and just being like this is what the kids are going through and it's like it doesn't really matter like where you stand on the issue in terms of like well how do we solve it right because people disagree on that it's like well how do we solve how do we everyone wants this to stop happening but nobody can agree on like what the solution is this movie is less about that it's more about I think mass is what that movie is. That's what that movie is trying to figure out. This movie is just sort of figuring out like, well, we can't change it. Like it happened. Like, you know, these students have to live with this and what are they going to do about it? And I think what strikes me about this movie is that it's not just a drama. It, It is kind of a dramedy. It is kind of a drama comedy. One thing I do remember about it, and I think one of the reasons that it kind of hit me, it, it kind of hit me emotionally, was because it wasn't fully dour. It was able to like let the characters find a little bit of like the joy of life and you know be in a movie where there is humor. There is a little sort of not not downplaying or diminishing what happened, but just sort of recognizing that there can be, you know, positive things to come through, you know, the aftermath, um, you know, not caused by what happened, but just sort of like you're taking charge of like your positive mental health in spite of this terrible thing that happened. And I just think it's a very positive movie in that regard. And I think it's a great showcase for these actors. I mean, Maddie Ziegler, we can say a lot about a certain movie she has been in. We don't have to go there uh, in terms of a little movie called Music. But uh, Jenna Ortega, who I, I just think every time I see this young actor popping up in everything, I just think she has so much, you know, she has so much range, I think, as an actor that she is really like applying to all these different roles that were more and more that she's doing. So I think the first thing I remember seeing her in was like that, uh, the you, the Netflix show. And she kind of came off, you know, as like the snarky, sarcastic, like in over her head kind of teenager character. She's kind of doing that same thing here, but in like a totally different decibel. It's really remarkable to me. And I think, uh, yeah, she's, she's one of our fine young actors right now. I think that she's absolutely one of the ones to watch, but, uh, yeah, with, with the fallout, I mean, what do you think? Do you, do you agree? Disagree? Do you think I'm, I'm overstating it maybe? No, I don't think you're overstating it. I think maybe you were a little bit more uh, favorable in the film than I was, but that's not to say that like I was uh, filled with criticisms or that I had any strong negative feelings in the film. I just think I really appreciate what it pulled off, and I definitely think the the main thing I walked away feeling was that uh, you know the um, oh what's her name the lead actress um, Jenny Ortega Jenny Ortega uh, yeah Jenny Ortega she uh, is just tremendous here. I mean I. I feel like I probably have seen her in stuff before, but this is my real, I feel like, introduction to her, uh, especially as a lead actress, obviously. And I feel like it, it, the movie obviously rests on her shoulders. Like, it's such a difficult type rope premise to pull off. And if you don't have an actress who is as natural and reflexive as her to pull it off, it's just not going to work. And she 
does it with so much uh, natural sort of intuition and uh, dramatic prose and just she just really nails the um, the tone and the vibe of this film really well without it ever feeling like you said, like kind of like an AMC family production, even though ironically, the the actress does come from that background, you know, it, it, it has something that feels more in tune with what it is to be uh, a Zoomer right now in a way that, you know, I don't have that life experience to know for certain, but it just feels authentic to what it is like right now. And there's so many scenes like, like there's one where it's just like her lay on the couch while her sister is like kind of doing this like TikTok routine on oh, her yeah, phone, yeah. like over and over and over again. And did you or have something? like a moment, Will, where you're just like, thinking about your own sibling <laughs> no well it's it just like it's just like stuff like that that's just like it's funny and it's kind of sad and it's weird but it just feels like accurate and it feels very observed in a way that you know like little moments like that really resonate and stick out to me when i think back on the film like that's the stuff Yeah, like pink cloud that, had that i remember feeling sure. the same way but yeah i mean just like something like this where i feel like kind of similar to um spontaneous uh, another film that tackles um like the like a metaphor for school shooting where it's just like it's not so much about recognizing the tragedy but just kind of like recognizing the life that these people are living or kind of have the force to live and seeing like the little like moments in life in between and just recognizing that like they're not statistics they're people they're young people they're kids who are trying to like live with their lives and just have to live with this constant threat and anxiety of just not knowing that they can even be safe in their own school. And it's just, you know, it's such a, like you said, an American problem and such a American ordeal to have to deal with. But this movie tackles it with a lot of thought and care, but also, like you said, with moments of humor and heart and humility at the same time. And yeah, yeah that's something that it's, it's not easy, especially for a first filmmaker to pull that off. But I think it's very commendable that she does. Yeah. I think she just kind of, you know, she, she has a talent here for depicting the teen experience. And it's like, like I was saying before, it's like, that is the teen experience. It's sort of this weird, your emotions are everywhere. You feel this, you feel that, you feel two things at the same time. It's like, sometimes a lot of these movies about teenagers and it can just be very one note when that's not authentic. That's not really what's going on. I do think like, yeah, it's a very Gen Z movie in some respects, but I do think it has a little bit more of like a, you know, I think kids, you know, could watch this in 10 years and still get a lot out of it, uh, I suspect. And I certainly, you know, it's very different from what it was like when I was in high school, sure. But certainly like that emotion of like starting to sort of be more independent, starting to realize that you can't really get, you can't really have your parents like be that sort of uh, comfort and security that you want. And it's, it's about, you know, in a lot of ways, this teenager going through something awful and then finding sort of like refuge in like a friendship, which I think is just such a, you know, on its own, a very beautiful thing. Uh, there's also something that happens in this movie that is just very like you know, I think people will see it coming, but also be like, yeah, that's that's very nice and sort of touching way to sort of sum up, right? Like, you know, how things kind of, when you're a teenager, it just feels like you have all of these options and possibilities and you can have certain experiences that, you know, maybe you didn't expect that sort of open you up, you know, to, to like what your life might be like when you have more independence and freedom. And I think it's hard to depict that sometimes in teen movies. It's hard to depict that transition very well. This movie does it with really serious subject matter. And like, I, I think uh, it makes me wonder, you know, I haven't seen Euphoria. I know people are talking about that movie all the time and everything, but I do think that that's one of those movies that people will avoid because it is a little bit more uh, of like show. the show. And yeah, uh, the show itself is like panic inducing yeah. for people. They're just like, oh my gosh, like this is so extreme. You know, like people think that like, yeah, or the people are seeing these like kids doing these crazy things. And I think this, yeah, this movie is probably a little bit more of like going to hit 
close to home because I think these teenagers are going to be more recognizable or like this sort of story. Not to say that shows like Euphoria or Skins, you know, stuff like that isn't have its own merit and value to like what it can do with like teens. But yeah, I just think that's a different flavor and a very good one. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to compare this to Euphoria, which is not a show I've seen, but I have seen clips from, so I don't have uh, the most informed opinion on it. But from everything I've seen and heard about that show that has such a like bombastic sort of like visceral way of looking at things that just feels very um, I don't know, it just feels like very showy and it feels like it's trying to like be really in your face about these things. And like we're talking about serious stuff. We're talking about the experience of teens being on drugs and they're doing bad things and all this stuff. And it just like this, you know, like, like I said, it deals with very sub, uh, heavy subject matter, but it has a sensitivity to it. It has levity and it has, you know, some some unsuspecting grace notes, but it also has like a lot of biting dark moments as well and i feel like that balance feels more authentic to life in a way that that i feel is more resonant and more impactful as a result like i said i mean i haven't watched euphoria and fools so maybe if i ever did get wa- get around to watching that show i'd be like oh everything i just said there is fooey like this show is amazing but i don't know i just get <laughs> okay. the vibe i just get the vibe that like that's going for like sort of sensationalism and this movie is not like it could go for a similar sort of sensationalism in a way that like something like uh, even though i like uh waves that 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 also kind of falls into like that vibe at times where it feels like it's kind of like too intense for its own good like it's kind of like trying to like lean into like the heaviness too much where it's just like can we all just like calm down and just like go to class and talk this out and like you know this movie has like a lot of like like I said, levity and grace, but also like it doesn't feel like it's undermining the subject matter in the process. And I think that's, you know, something that's very worthwhile about the film for sure. Agreed. I also like the score in this movie. Uh, Phineas O'Connell, the uh, the brother of Billie Eilish and of course her like songwriting partner, he did the score here and I think it's quite it's quite good. And uh, I think it's uh, it's something that I still remember. I know this movie, it won a few awards out of South by Southwest, including the narrative feature competition. And I'm, I guess I was a little surprised when I found out it was going to go straight to HBO Max. And I don't think that's to say that like it's a movie that's lesser because it didn't get the theatrical release. I do think that it's a movie that they looked at and were like, okay, you know, this isn't going to get the big award stuff. So they kind of saved it for let's make a splash, you know, on streaming, put on HBO max. And I, I I guess that's fine. I guess that makes sense. This movie kind of fits on that streaming service. A lot of people will see it as a result. And, you know, at the same time, there's a little bit of me that's like, Hmm. I thought I've thought about this a decent bit and I feel like when the fest will happen, I heard this news or like shortly thereafter I heard the news. I was like, that's a shame. Like this is a movie that should be seen in theaters and all this stuff. But I think about it and it's like this is probably an R rated film, right? Like if it got an MPAA rating, it would be rated R. I don't know. Maybe it has. It's not. It it can't be PG-13. There's a lot. of. I don't remember it super well, but yeah, I think. I, like, I forget what the language was like. It is pretty like traumatic. And so, I, yeah, I, I would imagine. I feel like this movie the subject probably itself. Yeah, it probably would have been rated R. And so like a lot of the younger audiences probably wouldn't even be able to see this film already there that they, it's ten, intended for. But also, I just feel like it's kind of a tough sell to begin with in theaters where it's like you have True, to yeah. kind of like, you know, be willing to sit in the theater for two hours and watch something that's this emotionally intensive and stuff like that. And on streaming, yeah. you know, you it's easier for it to gain. Well, audience, younger audiences, not the generalized, but younger audiences kind of, you know, they, they're more 
receptive to streaming and stuff like that. Maybe more so Netflix than HBO Max, but they are more receptive to seeing things on streaming. If they hear about something, they want that instant like, oh, it's on my TV right now. I can just click a few buttons and it's there. And like I said, like if it is too emotionally intense, they can just turn it off and like no harm, no foul. Uh, but if they're willing to go with it, 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 it can be a very rewarding and cathartic watch. So I, in the long run, I think it worked out. I don't think that's the logic that went into this decision. I think HBO max was just kind of like, this appeals to younger audiences and we want younger audiences and let's get the movie. Uh, Same streaming service as euphoria. I didn't even make that connection before, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they have a niche. Yeah. I, I think that was their line of thinking, but for me, that's my line of thinking. And I think it's probably beneficial in the long run. That's on HBO max. But I, I do kind of mourn for a movie like this being unavailable in theaters because it's probably a little bit easier to kind of for someone like me, it's easier to just kind of like sit in the theater and just like tough it out and watch it that way. But I recognize for a lot of people, it's the opposite. And if that's the case and, you know, have at it this way. Let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. We have only 56 reviews counted on Rotten Tomatoes. Not a lot. Which, I, you know, I guess because people were sort of like they reviewed it out of South by Southwest. And I think Sundance was going on when this was hitting HBO Max. I think there was a little bit of a, you know, we don't have time. But uh, what do you think the critic score is on Rotten Tomatoes for the fallout? Uh, 84%. Ooh, no. Off. Ooh. 93%. Off. Okay, so it's higher. Okay. I, I, Pretty you high. Were making yeah. it seem, you're making it seem like it was lower, like it was like 70 Oh, because I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. I should have been like, oh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, 93%. That's pretty good. Uh, I can see it going down a little bit as more people review it, maybe up. Uh, okay, audience score. We have 100 plus ratings, no verified. And uh, it's a little slower than I expected, considering yeah, it's a streaming say, release. Lower for, for this film. Um, I am going to say it is 80%. 83%. You're closer with your critic score yeah. for that. Um, I just imagine, you know, like the parents coming in, it's like, hey, kids. Thanks to Omicron, you have to stay home from school. Let's watch a movie together. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that, too. Like, uh, like you know, uh, uh, with Omicron, it's probably a little this bit This Valentine's Day. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit easier for folks to watch this on streaming, too. Experience the fallout. <laughs> Fall, in Fall love. out of love. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. All right. That's the fallout. Uh, not a long movie. Uh, I think it's like around 90 minutes. Let's look. Yeah. 91 minutes. So there you go. No, uh, letterbox score for this one. Oh, yeah. I can look at the letterboxed score as well. The letterboxed score is 3.8. That's higher than I expected for that. I thought it would be less than 3.5, like maybe 3.4. Hmm. That sounds that's pretty right, good, actually. Yeah. And that'll do it for us this week on Cinema Holics. We'll be back next week to talk about a bunch of films, including Death and Nile, Want You Back, a few other things. Uh, until then, uh, we will be having a Jackass Forever review out. Uh, probably, it could be before you listen to this. We'll see what happens. Uh, that's that. We have a bonus episode. We'll actually talk about the movie with somebody named Corey Woodruff, uh, some yes. Rotten Tomatoes approved critic as of yesterday. We're we, excited about that. Yeah, we talk about that. We uh, we went, so I think like... for Corey. I'm so happy for him as well. I think we went... About as long as this episode on Jackass Forever. It's a really fun conversation. Oh, I'm are, looking oh, forward. I can't wait to, to be, edit that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Have fun Gee, with that. I'm gonna be like Ruski Amaguchi, just like, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean, this one's a little bit longer than what we did, but it, it is like seventy something minutes. So, uh, great. Buckle up. It's a it's a fun <laughs> conversation, though. I think you'll enjoy it. And I, I and I look forward to hearing what everyone thinks. 
Sounds good. All right. You can check all of that later this week on Cinemaholics. We'll be back next week. Connect with us on social media. Say hi to us. All that fun stuff. Here is to year number six of Cinemaholics. It is beginning now. From the internet, California, I'm John Agroni. And for your internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Lashin. See you next time.